0: Welcome to the Power of the Next 100 podcast, produced by Penn Athletics. I'm Alana Shanahan, the Director of Athletics here at Penn, and will serve as your host as we spend time with two former accomplished Penn fencers, Mindy Lovoff and Holly Fiegel. Ladies, welcome to our podcast.
1: Thanks, Alana.
0: Hey, Alana, thank you. Absolutely. So I'm going to start by sharing with our audience a little bit about your backgrounds, and we'll start with Mindy. So Mindy um, actually was one of our few two-time captains for pen fencing in 2001 and 2002. She graduated in 02 uh, from the college and actually competed in multiple weapons, which I'm sure she'll touch on throughout her comments and placed fourth, fourth at IFAs in Sabre as a junior. Um, and now a little bit about Holly. So Holly competed in epee and um, she competed, graduated in 07 from the college Uh, but competed in 04 through 07 for our fencing team and um, had a myriad of honors both at the Ivy level, uh, culminating with some first team All-American honors and finished fourth at NCAA. So quite an impressive um, accolade resume at the college level and just obviously thrilled to have you both with us today. Um, So maybe we'll start off with a couple of, um, you know, just kind of personal questions and a little bit about maybe what you've been doing um, since your time at Penn and feel free to focus on the personal or the professional and Mindy, we'll start with
1: you. Oh, thanks so much, Alana. Um, so I professionally, I had a few careers after leaving Penn. It started just, just proving that sometimes what you set off to do, Uh, is not always where life takes you, which is great. Um, Even at Penn, I think I entered as a journalism major and I left as a PPE major. um, And I ended up going into finance for about six years, um, both at AT AT&T and like a corporate finance role. And then I left and I went to Goldman Sachs um, in investment management and then completely 180'd and went back to culinary school. Became a, a cook and then a consultant in restaurant operations and, you know, started a food blog back in the early days when food blogging was still kind of coming out with e-gullet and things like that. <laughs> um, then that led into kind of a startup consulting role. And then I ended up going back to finance uh during the pandemic or right before the pandemic. I was supposed to start in March of the pandemic. So oh instead of going into the office, I went straight to working from home, which was both, you know, good and bad. Um, But other than that, I think, you know, and and my husband and I laugh at this, but I still think the best thing I ever did was probably have my kids. My uh, son, Leo, is 12, and my daughter, Penny, is 10. And they're both fencers, which is not at all. Yeah, you know, and it's funny because we tried to get them to do something different because I think I I really believe it's hard when your parents did something, you know, that pressure. And I should mention, my husband is Chris Lavoff, uh, class of 04, Wharton 04, who was also a fencer, a pen fencer, you know, so we we didn't want to do that to them, but they they did it to themselves. So... <laughs> <laughs> Okay, keep it
0: in the family. What works, you know, for parents often works for children. So it's uh, it's nice to see they found a similar passion. And actually fun to hear that, and in your career, in some respects, has done the full 360 as far as coming back to finance, but obviously with some really um, interesting stops along the way. So,
1: yes, yes. Thanks for that. And
0: how about you, Holly? How about like what you studied in school in any way, shape, or form play out with um, how you've spent your professional or personal time over the last uh, 20 plus years, a little less? Yeah. Um,
2: Pretty much. I mean, I also applied to Penn with a different major than what I ended up in. Um, so I applied to Penn as an architecture major, but then I finished in visual studies and psychology. Wow. So like not really. exactly. <laughs> That's a hard left in there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so basically I like started working right after college in this is I'm graduating in 07. So we hit the financial crisis about eight, right as I finished my first internship in post-production. So I was working at a small like independent video company and I was anticipating it turning into a job and then nobody had jobs. So um, I continued just freelancing and I decided, hey, grad school is a great thing to do right now.
0: It was <laughs> so, the same economy, the way to go, right? <laughs> exactly.
2: So I got my MFA in film at the City College of New York, and all the while was freelancing as a video editor, doing lots of different kinds of projects, um, lots of documentaries, also food-related content most recently for the Food Network, and yeah, just a lot of New York jumping around from job to job um I also competed in fencing like post-college so I represented the New York Athletic Club for a long time um and now I work as a referee so I spend a lot of weekends during the winter as a fencing referee and I'm still doing that now so that's another fun side job I do (laughs)
0: So, it won't be long before you're reffing for Mindy's children. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well,
1: it's funny enough, I was trying to convince Holly if maybe next year she'll come. Co- so, Holly is an amazing épée fencer, really, really amazing épée fencer. And um, at my son and daughter's school, the coaches all are Sabre background. Oh, wow. Okay. And it's a very different weapon. And I was telling Holly about this. I went to see their meet and I ended up having to coach their meat because it turned out none of their epes knew how to fence epe, so they were all swinging like sabers and I was like what are you doing take the plate, you know and so I told Holly Holly and I ended up having lunch after our last conversation oh, yes. which was so nice and so I'm I'm constantly like well Holly you know just like one day a week you could come and like
0: you know. you're in trouble Holly she's gonna yeah, have I you know. Know
1: before you know it I know <laughs> like it's, it's easy it's a
2: quick two to three to maybe five day a week commit it's very easy couple hours we'll see we'll see you keep working on it
0: Yeah, there you know. Know. <laughs> well it is nice that you are obviously both whether it's through your children or holly obviously with officiating you know still involved with the sport mm-hmm. um i think on that front maybe you know is there a favorite um yeah, a favorite fencing memory, just something that stays in your mind, whether it's, you know, around a competition or around, you know, a silly bus trip, but something that you'd be inclined to share as a favorite memory associated
2: with pen fencing. Um, yeah, yeah I, I... Go ahead, uh, I was gonna say, um, so back when Mindy and I were fencing, uh, we had different head coaches then are there today. So our head coaches were Dave McConnick and assistant coach, Joseph Vitipsky. And so uh, Yosef is a much older Ukrainian guy. So he's, English is not his first language but like emotion definitely is there. So you would get a lesson from him and you might've had like the worst lesson ever but he just like cared so much about everyone. So if you just like worked really hard with him he'd bring in these like little chocolates from these like Ukrainian markets he would have near his house, I guess, and he would only give them to his like favorite students, or even if he had like, Mindy shared this last time, if he had like an apple, and he would like cut you parts of it off that was like his snack, but he was like sharing it with you. He was just like, my favorite part about pen fencing yeah. is like working with Yosef. Yeah, used a different type of
0: language to show affection than the English language. It sounds like,
2: yeah,
1: <laughs> very sweet. He was, you know, I tell my my kids currently have Russian Ukrainian coaches, and I've I've told them there is there is a harshness to your lesson, right? There is an expectation level that is very high. And the love that comes with that is also, you know, very deep there. It's, it's like, it's a, a background of, you know, poetry, Uh, you know, we always talk about this, like these deeply, you know, steeped in literature and storytelling and and tradition kind of emotions. And, you know, Yosef really was, he, you know, Holly and I were talking about this, he would with his big hands that had all day been hoisting, fencing equipment and bags. And you can just imagine like how much stuff is on his hands. And then he sits next to the strip and peels with a pocket knife that you don't know, this pocket knife probably came with him. from <laughs> Where the- it was right? last yeah. time. <laughs> And it's like, and maybe he wipes it on his like his like jacket or his fencing, you know, that you wear this like suede fencing pattern, like padding as a coach. He like might wipe it on there to clean it. But like he's peeling it in his hand. And when he peeled you a slice of apple, you know, everything in my germophobic self was like, don't eat the apple, you know, but you're not gonna say no. Cause at the same time, you're like, this is love. Like this is right. true, true, yeah. you know, love and. And he's showing that like he believes in you win or lose or whatever you did you know and i think conversely i i shared the story as well we came back one time from penn state and i think none of us had meddled and penn state open was was a big one um none of us had meddled and i think either like he's driving the van back or i'm driving the van back it's like a smaller one of the smaller team vans for these individual competitions and I said, you know, Joseph, we have to stop to get dinner, you know, soon. And he said, why? Why? You know when? you know, eat in Ukraine, you know, win, you know, eat, you know? And <laughs> I was like, yeah, but we, we have to feed them. We have to feed the team. I understand. And he's like, oh, fine, you know, and he's joking. A little and he bit wanted. of obligation to ensure that, uh, yes, we do provide yeah. some level of nutrition on your road trips. <laughs> exactly. And it was it was such a hilarious moment. And then the Penn State holds a different favorite memory for me. And this just has to do with my husband, who at the time we were just friends um, for real, we were just friends. This is one <laughs> of those, like, but uh, I think my senior year, I won uh, the. I had switched to Sabre my junior year, and my senior year, I placed third at the Penn State Open in Sabre. And it was like a really heated match where the girl I had been fencing was, I think, a much better fencer than me. And I just looked out really, really lucked out that I, in those, like like all sports, sometimes you dial in and if you're more dialed in than your opponent in that one moment, that's all it takes, mm-hmm. right? And it was my senior year, you know, last Penn State Open, I get third and my team is like lined up watching because everybody's watching these, mm-hmm. your, your medal bouts. And the first person who runs out to the strip is my now husband, oh, you know, and we were just friends sweet. at the time. Yeah. yeah. And we still, we still talk foreshadowing about it. maybe, right? Yeah, <laughs> foreshadowing, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I was like, oh, you know, you, you won me because you were the first to the strip to congratulate no. <laughs> congrats, you won the big prize, you know, but it was, it's a, it's a great memory. We yeah, one one of
0: it, I'm so. sure, yeah, it has even more relevance given your, given your marriage. That's, yeah. that's, um, that's awesome. All right, so we, we all know, obviously, as part of college athletics, you have your moments of setbacks and we try not to call them failures. We try to, you know, opportunities to grow. But when you think back are there's those moments in your, um, in your careers where you say, hey, you know what? That was a setback. But what I learned from that experience was, um, was monumental as far as how I tackled adversity moving forward or how I managed failure later in my, uh, later in my career. So just curious, either of you had that college moment.
2: Yeah, I did for sure. There was a, I think it was some sort of psychology course that I just wasn't getting. And I know I I took a lot of psychology classes at Penn uh, for parts of my major. So there was just one that wasn't clicking with me at all. And I had taken the first maybe midterm and I probably failed it. And it was really scary because you come from like this high expectation of sports and you know, you've always succeeded as a kid. And then all of a sudden you're up against something that you don't understand and it's not clicking for you. And at first I took it personally, like, oh my God, something's wrong with me. Mm-hmm. But you know, in the end it, maybe it was the subject that just wasn't right for me. So I ended up uh, dropping the course and it was an incomplete, which is not a failure. There you go. Right. So is G- yep. not screwed up, yep. but, um, I, I realized that there are just some things that are just like not meant for you. And I had one of my first um, paid like freelancing jobs was editing wedding videos. And at first I was like, okay, like, I understand this, this is fine. But then the job just got more complicated and more complex and the pay was the same but the oh, wow. work was like quadrupling.
0: <laughs> Something about this not right, right.
2: Something's not right here, and I don't think I'm meant to edit wedding videos my whole life. So let me think about this. <laughs> so I I was really scared to like tell this boss that I had at the time that I was done working for him. Mm-hmm. So I had I had scheduled a meeting with him. I brought the hard drive in. I'm sitting in the waiting room. And this other guy comes in and he's also sitting with a hard drive. So I'm like, oh, hey, are you here to see so-and-so? He's like, yeah, I'm quitting. I am i can't do this anymore. There's too many cameras on these shoots. This is too much. He's like, oh my God, I'm quitting too. You gotta let me go first because I was here first. <laughs>
0: we gotta sequence this
2: appropriately, right? <laughs> right, like my time was in four years, so I'm going first. So it just like, and then I was free to like pick up other freelance work and it just, I wasn't, stressed or upset about it anymore you know I could move on and live my yes. life so if I hadn't like had that earlier Penn experience I probably would have been stuck like editing wedding videos forever um, <laughs> I guess
0: no but I would agree <laughs> I think part of you know the type of student student athlete that comes to Penn does feel like everything is achievable yeah. and sometimes for all the wrong reasons at, at all the worst costs like there are there are moments where we just need to cut things loose. And I, I would absolutely agree. Like learning that lesson early becomes really important because who wants to wallow in misery just to say you accomplish something when it doesn't make your heart sing? So yeah. maybe, I'm sure
1: you probably had something similar along the way. Oh my God. I mean, I've had so many moments. <laughs> and I but I think that is that's the beauty of it, right? It it starts, you get to pen, and for the first time, you are really making your own choices, which means you're living with your own choices and the outcomes of all of your choices for the first time. That kind of responsibility and culpability is also really hard to come to terms with for the first time in your adult life. And I think that's what makes it so hard and what makes those moments of quote unquote failure, right? in college feel so big. You know, I think I got my first C in my life, my freshman year in like Calc BC. And I, it was like C plus maybe on the, and I remember thinking that's it. Life is over. <laughs> you know, and at that point I was still a journalism
2: major and I thought
1: life was over, (laughs) you know, like decades later, I'm working at Goldman Sachs and my husband who was a Wharton grad ended up getting his job at Goldman because I was there first. So Mm -hmm. that is the irony of thinking that every mistake defines you. And it's not just, and I think as women too, as women athletes, you kind of have to be, one step even more driven to be a female athlete, right? Because you're expected to do everything. And then you're also expected to go out on the field and be excellent competing against other women that are also trying to be excellent, which even in the professional world, that is an elite tier, right, of women. Women who want to be excellent. I mean, who can stop you, right? Who can stop any woman who wants to be their best? And I think we're not the right type of competitor too. the right type of female athlete is not competing against other people. She's competing against herself and she's constantly finding herself lacking,
2: Mm -hmm. you know and
1: that's what I find all the time. You know, I still find it. I find it in my daughter and her friends are all athletes. She's also probably better at tennis right now and her little group, you see them at 10 years old just like chomping at this bit and beating themselves up and the, oh my God, the amount of tears a 10 year old girl (laughs) Oh goodness. Oh my God, hell hath no fury like a 10 year old (laughs) girls tournament with bad line calls. I mean, just like, Like, holy cow, (laughs) you know? And so, and it just goes on through life. And I think what is amazing at Penn is this kind of protected environment where you make these stumbles, but you have a support network, especially in female athletics where you stumble or let's say you were on the strip and everyone was counting on you to be the anchor like it's what is it it's like 13 13 and the next one wins right yeah yep and you know you're short by one touch cuz it can go 4 4 and then you can lose and then your whole team loses and everybody was watching that and it feels like such a bad moment and the next high is when it goes your way but it's learning that whether it goes your your way this time or it doesn't go your way the next time you know it's learning that these small moments teach you something. We learn more from our failures. I tell my kids that all the time. A failure now, a failure when you're young, what a blessing. Yeah. Right? Yes. Cuz it teaches you something. Especially it teaches you resiliency and that the world doesn't end if you can hold on to that. Um and I feel I feel so you know bad for younger generations now cuz there's so much focus on them through social media and there's so much publication of their wins and their losses and their successes and their perceived failures. Um, you know, we, we talked about this. I can't remember what the analogy was, but life is long, you know, life is long. Everything is a choice. It's a choose your own adventure in the best possible way. And I think that there are multiple ways to get to the same outcome. It's not always like doom and gloom one way and, you know, Absolute success one way. And if you embrace that, and you always know that you actually have a lot of control in the outcome of your life in that way, like you can't control how other people react, you can't go back in time and change things, but you have every ounce of control in what you choose to do with what happened from this point forward and you get to choose happiness, right? And I think that's a huge one for perseverance and opportunity. Um, You know, so I wish I could pick out one moment. I, I know I talked about, you know, I made a bad choice for not preparing for NCAAs my senior year. But the irony is, after I said this last time we talked, I thought about it. And I was like, you know what? That was an amazing trip to Miami I took, though. You know, <laughs> and I wrote an all-night Greyhound bus. I'm never going to do that again, God willing. You know, and it, like what an adventure! Yeah, and man, that's something you can only do when you're young. Is like yeah. sit with a duffel bag on a Greyhound bus and hope ready for your next adventure yeah Yeah, you know so again it's all grist for the mill that's my favorite saying it's all grist for the mill
0: no no i would agree and i think so much of this is you know those those little failures along the way they only define us if we choose to give up in the wake of them and in the face of them but i think for so many of us you know, they're what motivate us to do better next time. But I think as long as you don't get captured and allowing them to define you, there's only upside to having them happen along the way. So, percent. all right. So obviously part of this podcast is um, celebrating 100 years of women's athletics at Penn. And obviously we're celebrating the 50th anniversary of Title IX this year. So in um, in light of those celebrations and, and Holly, maybe we can we can start with you um you know i'm just curious what what would you you both experienced what the last 100 years a part of that what it felt like to be a an athlete at penn what are your aspirations for the next 100 years and what do you hope our female student athletes um have the ability to experience as we move forward that may look different
2: than your experiences um yeah so i guess i i had a unique women's experience before coming to penn i went to an all-girls catholic school And so I was used to having an all girls only team when I was fencing in high school. So when I came to Penn, what was so great was our fencing team has a co-ed practice. And I think this is kind of unique to fencing. A lot of teams are separated, but in fencing, I find as a woman, you can get better and stronger when you're fencing the men Mm -hmm. because, you know, like there's just so many more possibilities and so many more people to train with when you include the men's team. So I don't know if this is possible for all sports, but I find that fencing has that unique quality to it, Mm -hmm. where we have the opportunity to train with the men and get better because of that. And I would say the men also gain patience by fencing the women because Mm -hmm. like fencing is sort of like the equalizing sport. Like you don't have to be the fastest You don't have to be the strongest or the tallest, but you do have to be smart and strategic. Mm -hmm. And I think that as women, like that's something that is a great asset for a lot of us is using our ability to analyze, to see what's going on and then to create a plan. So um, I guess like I hope for the next hundred years, we continue yeah. having co-ed practices for fencing and maybe other teams try it too. Like what's, what would be so wrong with the squash team or tennis team having co-ed practices?
0: Yeah, I have to say, like, I think, you know, definitely in the context of swimming, um, definitely in the context of squash, I think there are a lot of places where you do see kind of yeah, kind of co-ed practices because of a lot of what you just suggested. I think there's huge value. I think, unfortunately, in certain sports, um, you know, men's and women's lacrosse is a good example. The the games are actually different. So it's hard, even though they're both lacrosse, how the games are played are different, but, uh, but would totally agree. And I just think, you know, understanding how to lead in a co-ed environment that's our world so you know just having understanding sort of the different dynamics and gender dynamics and how you move through that and grow through that I agree is uh is really powerful so uh so, no, hopefully, I can't imagine that a lot of that and any of that will discontinue. And if anything, we may see more of it happen um, with some time. And particularly as our, as our programs elevate, you know, it's also if you have one program that's been more successful, well, wow, isn't it wonderful to have the other program benefit from that exposure and experience um, across genders? So,
1: definitely wonderful. Yeah. And conversely to that, I find that men, at least in my experience with the fencing men, but men who have grown up practicing and competing you know with women in in sports or in any competition the amount of respect that they have professionally later on or just as people for women and how strong they are and capable they are is i think so much more beneficial to society you know so keeping boys kind of like segregated in their sport, thinking that they are like elite in some way, you know, versus understanding that, you know, the skill level, like I watch my daughter and again, in her, her tennis girls, I mean, God bless the boys that show up to their clinic that they do all together because they were fierce and they will knock the boys off there's like a leader court you know and and then there's it's a cliff drop you fall off if you lose and they knock boys off and they love it right so it's also it's great for boys I think to also see and respect women in this way and say you know hey they're capable and then you know title nine is the opportunity I I wouldn't be a fencer without Title Mm -hmm. IX. You know, it's actually, my parents never supported fencing. They never had anything to do with it. I was lucky because I went to Morristown High School, which was a public school that had a fencing program with an incredible booster club.
2: Mm -hmm. Without
1: their generosity and kindness, I wouldn't be fencing. My parents never even saw me fence until the end of college. Yeah, they really, you know, they never, like, they never spent a dime, which is one of those <laughs> things that they now they use it as like, a, oh, we never had to spend a dime. I'm like, yeah, you know what? It really hurt at the time. <laughs> Thank you very much. But it's a good story now, Mindy. It's a good story. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's a great story for you guys. It really sucked when my teammates had to like give me their hand-me-down equipment. But, you know, it's without Title IX, without, you know, Penn having this women's team that they wanted to see be competitive, that they wanted to see when I might not have been at and who knows, right? It, it's not something that I ever thought, if you would ask me at my kid's age, what did I think I would do when I went to college? I didn't even know what fencing was. Yeah, it wasn't right? even on so, the radar, let alone the list. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's having Title IX at that level, at the collegiate level, that really trickled down, trickles down the kind of, different schools supporting this level of athletic competition and education in the federal, like federally sponsored high school space. Right. You know, like that's where I grew up. I had a public school that did this, you know, so it's so, so important. And I, I really hope, I hope where this all leads, I, you know, we're, I can't believe it's only 50 years. That's kind of like sad, right? Amazing, right? (laughs) Like I, it's like, I'm not that far from 50 (laughs) years. (laughs) <laughs> it's like, oh my God, that we've only had that for 50 years. I can't, I hope I live to see a hundred years of title nine. And then I really hope I live to see women paid, women athletes paid as much as men for the prizes that are won. Yes. I hope I live to see them paid equally if not more for sponsorship deals, because let me tell you, I care a lot more how Serena Williams looks in Nike than I care about any other man, you know? So like,
0: (laughs) but I have to say tennis is, you know, tennis is probably the closest to that space as far as equitable pay for performance. So it's definitely happening, sadly still in pockets, but you know, at least there are examples now that didn't exist clearly, uh, 10 years ago, let alone
1: 50. So (laughs) exactly. Exactly. So I can't wait. I don't even know what what it holds you know I'm kind of also excited for what women are doing now and how different like my old school thoughts are being challenged and how I was raised and thought about sports and athletics is being challenged you know I remember my my grandmother is a very Asian kind of old school thinking but my grandmother looked at me once after I've been training for something She's like, you're just big. You look very big. Like you lift things and like you row things. And I was like, like what, ferry boat? Like, what am I lifting and rowing? Like, what is this criticism? I don't even know how to, is this a good, is this bad? Like, just not sure where to take it. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, that's great. It's like, so I can carry my future husband, you know? Like, whatever, I'm like, you know, it's just so funny. So I love that. And, and again, my parents were are so proud now of the things that they didn't think they wanted me to have anything to do with back in the day. So I can't wait to see what, you know, my daughter and her friends make me proud of that I can't even begin to fathom right now.
0: No, it's, it's been a wonderful evolution. And again, one that obviously we're excited to see play out in Penn, at Penn, and uh, obviously across the country. So
1: only good things to come is in my book, but. uh, And can we also say female athletic director? Yay, Penn. this This has
0: been a wonderful week in the last four four or five days we've won a women's lacrosse ivy championship and a women's golf ivy championship oh, so nice. it's Yay. uh yeah we're on a heck of a run particularly in light of you know our women's program so so very okay. exciting and yeah amazing love to see those women have those championship level experiences so, great leadership
2: thank you yeah there you go yes. there you something, you. Something, <laughs> something in there
0: yeah <laughs> All right, so maybe some fun questions to start to wind us down a little bit so thoughts on sort of maybe a favorite academic class or experience and then was there just a road trip that was entertaining for some reason or another and feel free to answer one or the other of the questions but just love to hear some of the silly stories of our college experiences.
1: Well, I'll just say that I'm that person like my kids now take a shuttle bus between their campuses. And my son texted me the other day that he was going to be late because the bus coming from the lower school was late because a kid had thrown up on it. And he was like, it's the same kid and he always throws up on the bus and then they have to clean the bus and they always make it late. And he's like, and then we're all squished in the front of the bus because it smells like vomit in the back. And I was laughing because I'm like, I'm that kid. Like, not only was I that kid when I was younger, in college, I think the bus had to stop a couple of times For me to get off the bus and vomit on the side of the road,
2: you know, and I was like, I don't
1: know, guys, like, and, and then we also back in the, I don't know where we stopped now where teams stopped for food, but we only ever stopped right for fast food. We were what we call 90s healthy, right? 90s healthy. And I remember one fencer yelling, would you ever go to a state named K- You know, and eat something called C. Why do we keep stopping here? And I was like, just eat the food. You know, we have $10 per diem, just eat dinner. And I remember, you know, I'm vomiting off the side of the bus, and she very helpfully is like, well, maybe we should stop stopping. See, uh, and like maybe then we could stop stopping on the side of the road for you to like upchuck it. And I was like, great, very helpful. Thank
2: you, Casey. Very very helpful.
1: Uh, so maybe you were
0: the headline of many people's stories about uh, interesting road trips.
1: <laughs> I'm sure they're all like. There was that girl. What was her name? She kept vomiting. Holly, let's
0: hope your memories don't involve vomit. But... <laughs> oh
2: man, no, no vomit. Thankfully. Um, <laughs> We, I do remember this one year we were trying to get to Ivy's and it was like snowing really bad and the bus like wouldn't come and get us. So we ended up like going to, uh, Penn station and taking the train because Ivy's were held at New York's, um, Columbia university that year. And then we like rolled in with our bags. We're just like, pulling them through the snow and just like getting oh on the God. subway as a team. It was so chaotic. And oh so, my you know, goodness. Somehow we got there, but it was like, wow, this was not the warm-up we all expected. <laughs> for, for <laughs> lugging your bag
1: through uh, yeah. The Manhattan snow. <laughs> oh my God. That was like really intense. <laughs> I have seen worse things on the subway. If it makes you feel that. <laughs>
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> I think we all have that travel nightmare memory. There's there's no doubt about that.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: All right, so um, I guess to close this out, let's finish with, is there, you know, a question that I didn't ask that you wish I had or something about your pen athletics and fencing experience you'd love to share that I didn't highlight?
2: Um, I think like adding on to the Title IX thoughts, um, I'd mentioned in the beginning I'm refereeing now. And I'm hoping also to see more women referees out there because um, I remember growing up and when I was in college, you there just was like always one, maybe two female referees out of like 20. And wow. it's definitely getting better. It's not 50-50 yet, but I would love to see more like women refereeing. Like I know there's a few in the NFL who are doing it we have a few professional assistant coaches in like baseball and and football now. So I would just love to see more women, um, stepping into those roles because it is almost like a mentorship role too. When you see another woman in that kind of position of power, who's like officiating, it's just, I don't know. I think it's something we're missing also in athletics and hopefully we'll get there and get to parity as well with the uh, refs and other leadership roles. Yeah,
0: no question. No question. Yeah,
1: I I have to I echo that in the representation is seeing women and it is Holly, it is rare to see a female refs still to this day at fencing tournaments, I would say there wasn't a single female this weekend at my kids tournament, oh, no. um, either in a coaching form or in a ref, you know, so it is, I would love to see that. And I think representation Alana in at, like running the entire athletics department to be the woman in charge of that, that I have already used both of you, by the way, guys, as an example <laughs> to my daughters and their, and their friends and, and to my friends who are moms. Um, and I think, That it's also, I think, women paying it forward, making sure to be that mentor to the next generation. Because I think, again, when you're competitive and you're always kind of striving, sometimes you get very internally focused about what you need to do. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, at least for me, you feel like something's missing and you're constantly chasing something. And especially this next generation, you kind of feel dissatisfied faction, like you have everything, right? But somehow you're still dissatisfied with your life. And sometimes that is fulfilled by paying it forward and really um, being a giver when you think that the world is not giving. Um, I'm a big fan of Adam Grant, who is Penn, you know, and um, when I was working at Goldman, I was a huge devotee to kind of spreading his message, which is, be a giver you know be a giver in so much as it doesn't deplete you be the type of giver who you know without asking for anything in return is fostering community is building up other people it costs you nothing Mm -hmm. you know or if you have extra free time one of the best things I ever did was go back to my high school after I graduated pen and coach fencing for two years Mm -hmm. and then whenever I can like With the Penn fencing team, like Coach Ma is another kind of coach in this, I love my team and I love my fencers lineage that we have at Penn. And he will email me regularly. I'll email him. My husband has emailed him and said, do you have anyone looking for a job? You know, is anybody you know, right now looking for a job in finance, et cetera. Or if anybody needs anything, if there's a fencer who needs anything, please put them in touch with us. You know, we're happy if we don't have the network. And Holly, I just introduced to another film uh, editor friend, if whenever you can make those connections for other women, help other women, lift other women up, mentor them, and sometimes even just be the sounding board as they're trying to figure things out and don't offer a solution, but be the person to help them not feel alone in whatever the struggle is.
2: Mm-hmm. It
1: is incredibly, you know, it, I would say that if you feel like something is missing for your life, it it from your life, it might be what's missing. And you might find it incredibly, you know, filling, fulfilling. Yeah. Um, and so that's the big thing. Pay it forward, you know, be be that person for someone else, even if you never had it. Sometimes if you didn't have the person lifting you up, You go ahead and you be that person, you know. I do think the last time we spoke, we talked about that lift as you rise
0: concept, like your ability to sort of step in and be for others, what maybe somebody never was for you, but acknowledging in that moment, you know, the moment to be selfless and say, let me be an example of a fencing official. Let me be an example of, you know, where a former friend or colleague, you know, just needs that sounding board. I, I do you know, I feel like we have so many opportunities to that and we don't always live into them. And it's interesting, um, it's, you know, it's sadly more on the financial front, but so much of what we wanna do with Power The Next 100 is to remind people of the importance of investing in women and women's programs. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's really unfortunate, it's wonderful. We have over $100 million of endowment focused on Penn's varsity teams. Now the challenge is 75% of that endowment is earmarked for men, yeah. 25% for women. So for me, it's all about what can we do to not just get women, but men as well, invested in ensuring that we bring some level of equilibrium. Yes. And that's just you know incredibly kind of important to me um, that are, that our women are worthy of investment and trying yeah. to help people understand kind of the value and the opportunity. And even for some of the women, to your point, Mindy, We didn't always have great experiences, but being committed enough to ensure that we're paying it forward, even if it wasn't perfect, because we don't want to replicate the past. So these conversations and obviously this initiative, I'm hopeful shed some light on just how incredibly powerful women's athletics can be for not only the participants, but for society as far as what we can live into with appropriate
1: support so. I 100% agree. I think, and I think just as you said, it models it for society. Yeah, That's what we want to see. We want to see it just keep building and building. And as you said, that lift, because I think our society needs a lift. Yeah. You know, I think we're hurting and just being able to come together and agree on certain fundamental things, you know, and. And being I, a good I, example,
0: you know, being yeah. an example of what can be community building and sustaining and investing for the right reasons.
1: Because it is. I mean, the best part for me at Penn was not winning things. The best part was being a part of the fencing team. And the only reason I insist my kids do any activity, I'm like, just do one thing where you compete on a team with other people where they rely on you and you rely on them. Because that is such an amazing experience, and I and I've told them I don't care if it's varsity, I just want you to- learn that lesson no matter the level. There's no yeah, doubt. that's it. Have your people, you know that you you want to see them succeed as much as you want to succeed. That's such a gift when you get to root for someone else, and especially as women, it's it's unbelievable. I'm telling you, I would take as a mom now, right? Like as I'm like I would take part time mom work like. Over any full time, <laughs> I mean, what they're able to accomplish, I'm always kind of amazed and blown away. You know the power there, so mm-hmm. it's incredible. And every stage of life, your your women, your your people, your sisters in in different areas, they come at you in every profession. Now that I've worked in several different professions, I'm going to tell you in every single profession. It's the women that will gather around you and help you. And as you become a mom, it's your mom friends. And as you go to school and your kids go into sports, it's your, you know, fellow moms of, you know, that sit with you while all those bad line calls are happening and like (laughs) you rub each other's shoulders and you (laughs) you comfort each other's daughters, you know, because they don't want to talk to you. They only want to talk to their, the other mom who will get them, you know, and thank (laughs) God for that support and that sisterhood really, you know, so Thank you, Alana, for doing this and bringing it Oh, No, on.
0: absolutely. Yeah, and I just, definitely. yeah, I mean, I just obviously want to take a moment to, to thank you both, Mindy and Holly, for being part of this. Um, you know, these podcasts have been such a joy to just showcase, you know, what are women, what they look like, the experiences they've had, and how passionate they are about ensuring that we pay it forward. So thank you both for being guests on Power the Next 100.
2: Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks, thanks Alana. So